such a good group together today. First of all, let me say thank you for um, being flexible and allowing us to call an audible and you running the right route. Um, it is great. For some, you're watching online and you missed the signal, and that's okay. We're glad you found us online. So again, this weekend, of course, we had to adjust because of the equity 10-miler where uh, East Ohio Street is going to be closed till 10.30 on Sunday, and so we're having a Saturday night 6 p.m. service and an 11.30 service on Sunday. Thanks for being flexible. Let me, let me just say this. In a church this size, I feel like a broken record, but communication can be really hard. And so on weekends like this, when we have to communicate quickly, um, there's a couple avenues in which we do that. And so if you don't have these connections, I just want you to be aware. One, there's a free app for your phone or your iPad, um, Android or Apple, whatever it is you use. Um, just look up in your app store of choice, ACAC, Allegheny Center Alliance Church, and download that app. It's free. Um, and then you can turn notifications on. And so what we do is, like if there's a weather emergency where we have to cancel a service for some reason or something like this, you'll get that notification if you have that turned on. There's sermon notes on there. There's events. Um, you can watch videos and all that sort of thing. There's a Bible app. So it's a great free tool. And then, of course, um, sign up for, we, we send out a weekly email that comes out on Thursday. You can go to our website and sign up for that. I, I promise we won't bombard your inbox where you'll just get one a week from us and it gives you events and announcements there's a brief video from me every week so that's the public service announcement for the weekend but i do want to say thank you and i'd like to say thank you to th these guys often get missed but joe g and his food facility team Rumor has it one of our staff were getting the meat sweats because they ate too many meatballs. I won't, I won't say who that is, Matt Black, but um, <laughs> just called him out. So, uh, no, thank you, Joe, and, and all of the team for doing that. It's wonderful. So here we are, week four, in the finale, if you will, of our final week of the book of Haggai. And I just, I've really enjoyed this as well personally, um, as much as it may bless you, which I hope it does, as, as I pray and as I study, um, just the last four weeks in my private time of devotion with the Lord has been very sweet working through this, and so I pray it has been that way for you. And the last three weeks, we've really looked at if we desire God's blessing in our life, individually or corporately as a church, we've tied this with what I believe the Lord is saying to us in this season, especially this season, season where we're constructing a hub that's looking to be completed next year. What is the Lord saying through Haggai in that? And the past three weeks have been focused on God's blessing. And week one was about priorities, that if we desire God's blessing both in our life and in the life of the church corporately, we need to prioritize what's important to God his priorities over our personal agendas. And then week two is really about perspective and how it's easy for us in our eye-level view to become short-sighted. And if we want God's blessing in our life, we have to trust his perspective, the things that he sees even when we don't see it working here. And then last week we talked about purity, and this is so critical, uh, especially for us as a church, as we get busy doing things for the Lord, that his third message is about purity. And that if we want God's blessing in our life, we have to be far more concerned about the purity of our hearts than the performance of our hands. 
So the thing that was consistent about all three of those messages were that we focused on what we need to do to receive God's blessing. But here in Haggai's fourth sermon, and the last one for us today, everything changes. The, flip, the script flips, so to speak. And the people of Israel that were in Jerusalem, and for us, we are going to learn that there is something far more significant. There is something far more important than God's blessing being the thing that motivates us to be obedient. You see, the exiled Jews in Jerusalem all of a sudden are going to see a redemption story written before their eyes a redemption story of one individual and it is a story that not only motivated them in 520 bc but after we come to knowledge of it and understanding it should motivate you and i not to just seek the hand of the one who blesses but to seek the giver himself and so here is the theme of haggai's final message and the one for us and it's this while we seek God's blessing, it is the love and grace of Jesus Christ that persuades us to fulfill his purpose. Let's go to the Lord together and read his word. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Haggai chapter 2. We're going to look through verse, the final three verses of this book, verses 20 through 23. Here is the word of the Lord for us. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the, the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and the riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealti, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now this message... As, as we have seen throughout all of these messages, Haggai is very particular on the date and time when these messages are given. And if you caught that, this message is giving, given the same day as his third sermon. So he's got two sermons in one day. Don't worry, you're only getting one today. <laughs> but this is the second sermon of Haggai, and it's on the same day. However, unlike his previous three sermons... This message is directed at one individual. You see, the first message was directed at a group of people. And you see throughout the book of Haggai, he calls out two individuals along with the remnant of Israel that had returned to Jerusalem. One was Zerubbabel, the son of Shealti, who that is repeated often, which is his father, of course. And he was the governor of Judah. This was a civil leader, if you will. The other person that's repeated often is Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and he was the high priest. He was the religious leader. And so throughout the book, Haggai calls out Zerubbabel, Joshua, and he also says the remnant of Israel. But in this last message, unlike the other three, 
This word from the Lord through Haggai is directed at one person, and that is Zerubbabel. We just read it. Haggai 2, 21, the first part. Haggai says, or the Lord says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. So, I'm going to warn you, we're going to hit a lot of scripture. We're going to look at not only Haggai, there's a portion in in 2 Kings that we need to look at to understand who these people are and the significance of Haggai's word to them. We're also going to look at the book of Jeremiah. So I'm going to go through it, but it's really important because it's context for understanding Haggai's message both to Israel and to us. So who was Zerubbabel? This is the person who the message was from. Well, one, Zerubbabel came from a family tree of royalty. He came, he came from the lineage of King David, which was really important. He had royalty in his blood. The Bible says, we just read, his father was Shealtiel. More significantly to Zerubbabel's story, and for us today, is his grandfather. His grandfather was King Jehoiakim. Everybody say Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim. Now, Jehoiakim, Zerubbabel's grandfather did some things that forever changed the course of his family tree, his family lineage. And we're going to look at that right now. So here's, we, we're going to go to, the, to 2 Kings chapter 24 and 25. Let's go through this together. And I'm going to, Greg's going to follow me as we go through. So this is Zerubbabel's grandfather. Jehoiakim, King Jehoiakim, was 18 years old when he became king. Now how many think that's a good idea? An 18-year-old king, okay? And sure enough, he reigned three months. <laughs> he reigned three months, and his mother's name was Nehushta. That's an awesome name, Nehushta, the daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem, okay? This is his grandfather, Jerubbabel. And the Bible says that this 18-year-old king who ruled for three months did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father had done. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem and the city was besieged. Let's make sure we're here. I want to make sure we all get this. Okay, so Zerubbabel's grandfather is king, come, becomes king at 18 years old in Jerusalem. He rules for three months and then King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invades Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he came to the city while his servants were besieging it. And Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon. Another word is he surrendered. And let me tell you, at that time, kings did not surrender. That was the cowardly thing to do. But King Jehoiakim surrendered to Nebuchadnezzar. And King Jehoiakim himself, his mother, and his servants, all the officials, and the palace officials... The king of Babylon takes them prisoner in the eighth year of his reign. That's King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And he carried off, this is important too, so he not only captures the royal family and everyone working in the kingdom and the palace, but he carries off all of the treasures of the house of the Lord. Now remember, the book of Haggai is about them rebuilding the temple. And we talked a couple weeks ago about King Solomon's temple. This is King Solomon's temple. Remember how glorious it was? It was inlaid with gold. I mean, the, the Jewish people were extremely proud of that temple. So Jehoiakim surrenders, and then King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and he carries off all of the treasures, 
of the king's house and of the temple of the Lord. And then the Bible says that he cut in pieces all the vessels of gold that were in the temple. The holy architecture, the holy pieces that were in the temple, Nebuchadnezzar breaks it down and steals it. Which Solomon, the king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor. 10,000 captives, the Bible says. And all the craftsmen and all the smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land. Do you get this? He came in, he destroys Jerusalem, he takes the king captive, well the king surrenders, and he takes all the king, all the officials, he ransacks the most precious holy temple in Jerusalem, and then he takes the people of Israel captive, all of the warriors, all the mighty men, to the point that the poorest of poor were the only ones who remained. And he carried away the king, Jehoiakim, to Babylon, carried away the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, the chief men of the land, and he took them into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. And the king of Babylon brought captive to Babylon all the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the metal workers, 1,000 of all of them strong and fit for war. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiakim's uncle, king in his place. Then he changes his name to Zedekiah. So you got the picture of what happens. This 18-year-old king who ruled for three months wusses out and surrenders. And Nebuchadnezzar takes everything. He strips the temple. He takes all the people, leaves the poorest of the poor, and he exiles them and deports them back to his home country in Babylon. Oh, but it gets better. Fast forward a little bit, and the Bible says, and still in 2 Kings, in the 37th year of the exile, so this is 37 years later, after Jehoiakim, king of Judah, in the 12th month of the 27th day of the month. This is a great name for a king. Evil Merodach. <laughs> I mean, this was the original Dr. Evil. <laughs> Dr. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon in the year that he began to reign. So 30 years, 37 years have gone by, okay? They're in Babylon. This evil king graciously freed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, from prison. Now, if you do the math, he's 55 years old. So they're in captivity. He served 37 years in prison. And evil king releases him, and he spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat above the seats of the kings who were with them, him in Babylon. So Jehoiakim put off his prison garments... And every day of his life, he dined regularly at the king's table. And for his allowance, a regular allowance was given him by the king, according to his daily needs, as long as he lived. Now, that was a lot. But let me paint this picture for you. So you have all of these people in Israel that had an 18-year-old king who served for three months, and he surrenders rather than fights. And all of his palace, the royal family and servants... The temple is uh, robbed and ransacked, and then most, the, everybody except for the poorest of poor in Israel were shipped off and deported to Babylon, okay? Now imagine this king, Jehoiakim, serves 37 years, and all of a sudden the king gives him a seat at the table, 
and he's eating like a king. And the Bible says he gets an allowance for the rest of his life. How do you think that went over with the people of Israel? Even though it was 37 years later. My guess is it didn't go over well. Now, remember, this is Zerubbabel's grandfather. So the people would have remembered Zerubbabel's grandfather. This is his family tree. This is the history and legacy of his family. This was his story. This was his name. This was Zerubbabel's reputation. But then, as we've learned over the last few weeks, King Darius now returns. He sends a remnant of Jews, and Zerubbabel was with them, Jehoiakim's grandson, go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple that his grandfather allowed to be ransacked. And, oh, by the way, they sat and did nothing for 16 years. So do you get the picture of Zerubbabel's reputation? I mean, the whispers that would have been going around. He was canceled before canceled was popular, my guess is. <laughs> and yet, here in this fourth message, God chooses to speak through Haggai directly to one person, and it's Zerubbabel. And this is what God says to Zerubbabel. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down. God says, every one by the sword of his brother. Remember, up to this point, all of Haggai's messages, all of his sermons have been to groups of people. Yet this message is to one individual, an individual with a bad reputation, an awful story and family history, and those around him probably despised him. And God's first words to Zerubbabel through Haggai were words about sovereignty and power. God says, Zerubbabel, there's a day coming where I'm going to show you who's really in charge. You see, your entire life has been filled with pain because the kingdoms of this earth, because the kingdoms in power and people of this world. The name Zerubbabel in Hebrew means sown in Babylon. Babylon was like a curse word to the people of Israel. Sown in Babylon was Zerubbabel's name. Sown in captivity. He was a child of captivity. A child of slavery. Yet God says to him directly, you have seen Zerubbabel. You have felt and you have experienced the trauma and the PTSD that the kingdoms of this world bring. And God says, I'm telling you, there is a day coming where I am going to rewrite your story and change your name. And then God continues. After he says, there's a day coming, Zerubbabel, God says this through Haggai. On that day, when I shake the nations and I show real power, 
I show what a real kingdom is. God says, on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, and then he calls him something he hasn't called him in two chapters, in four sermons. He says, Zerubbabel, my servant. Son of Shealty. He's identifying this past story, this family tree. He goes, even though you have this history, even though everyone sees around you, you have this awful reputation, you are my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For Zerubbabel, I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So what's a signet ring? You probably have seen movies sometime where the person in power has this big gold ring and it has maybe their initial or their, their banner or their symbol on it. And they, to seal a letter, they put it in wax and then they, you know what I'm talking about? A signet ring is a ring of authority. It carried the authority of the king. A signet ring was a mark of approval of representation the first time we hear of a signet ring in the bible is when pharaoh gives joseph a signet ring and put joseph in charge of all of egypt and now god is saying zerubbabel i am giving you my mark of approval i don't care what happened in the past i don't care what the people are saying about you what has happened in your family tree your name that is child of babylon child of captivity i am marking you and giving you my authority a mark of approval but there's more you see, that's pretty powerful in itself. But my guess is, about this point, Zerubbabel is on his knees crying. Because there's something that you need to know when it comes to a signet ring that God had spoken to his grandfather that we just read about in Jehoiakim. So if you go to the book of Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah speaks to King Jehoiakim, his grandfather. Okay, so let's go back a couple generations. The prophet Jeremiah says to Zerubbabel's grandfather, Jehoiakim, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, this evil king, even if you, Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, even if you were a signet ring, God has referenced the signet ring once before in Zerubbabel's family to his grandfather, but it wasn't good. God says, if you were a signet ring on my right hand, God says, I would still pull you off. I will deliver you into the hands of those who want to kill you, those you fear. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Babylonians, I will hurl you and the mother who gave birth, who, who you gave birth into another country, where neither of you was born and there you both will die. This is Jeremiah speaking to Zerubbabel's grandfather. You will never come back to the land you long to return. And watch this. God says, this is what the Lord says. Record this man, the grandfather. Record this man as if childless. A man who will not prosper in his lifetime for none of his offspring. None of his children, none of his grandchildren will prosper. God said back then. None will sit on the throne of David or rule anymore in Judah. Do you get the picture of what just happened there? 
Two generations ago, through Jeremiah, God told this king, Jericho, that his children, if I was a signet, if, I, if you were a signet man, I would pull you off and cast you aside. You have done so much evil to me, I'm, I'm eliminating your family tree, is what God said two generations ago. And now God comes back to Zerubbabel and says, you are my signet ring. God restored, he reversed the curse in Zerubbabel's family. And God is publicly, he's saying this, though this message was directly to Zerubbabel, he was saying it in front of the other people of Israel. So they're seeing Haggai change, God speak through Haggai and change Zerubbabel's story. Now God's promise comes true. We're not going to look at it today, but if you go home and look in the first chapter of Matthew, if you look in the genealogy of Luke, Jesus fulfills it. Jesus shakes when Jesus comes to earth in the form of a baby. If you go look at the genealogy of Jesus, our Savior, guess whose names are listed in the genealogy of Jesus? What was once struck and eliminated, if you go and look in Matthew, you will find Jehoiakim's name, you will find Shilti's name, and you will find Zerubbabel's name. God rewrote Zerubbabel's story through grace and mercy. You see, Haggai points forward to the grace of Jesus. Haggai points forward to the blood of the Lamb that we just sang about. It points forward and shows what grace and mercy can do. When all is said and done, Haggai is pointing to the one who comes and rewrites all of our stories. Ignores the past. Ignores family tree. Ignores sin and mistakes. Ignores bad reputation and what gossip and other people are saying and shame and put on you and guilt and all of that. Haggai points forward and said there's a day coming where all that will be erased. And it's the grace and love of of Jesus Christ. You see, while we should seek God's blessing, it's the love and grace of Jesus Christ that persuades us to fulfill his purpose. Do you think Zerubbabel was more motivated by the three previous messages or the one that he had just received? It was the grace and mercy of a loving God that motivated and persuaded Zerubbabel to be obedient. We should desire God's blessing in our life. Don't get me wrong, individually and corporately as a church, and as we've talked about, we should desire that blessing and understand that we have to put his priorities, his errands that he has called us to run. If we're going to be blessed as a church, we've got to put those priorities above our own. Seek his righteousness, and those things will be added to us. If we want God's blessing, We need to trust his perspective. When things don't go our way, when curveballs come, when marathons happen, we have to trust that he sees what we don't. And if we want God's blessing in our life or upon our church, we better make sure that our hearts are pure and we focus more on that than the performance of our hands. However, there is something far greater, far more persuasive, 
far more motivating than just seeking the blessings of God. And that is seeing and personally experiencing the transforming love and grace of Jesus Christ. That's what should motivate us to be obedient. I want to end with this last verse in Zechariah. You've heard this before, but you may have never caught that it was spoken to Zerubbabel. Prophet Zechariah says these words to Zerubbabel. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might. Not by power. God says, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace. Catch this. Zerubbabel was responsible for putting those stones back and rebuilding the temple. And God's saying, as those stones are being put back, there will be shouts of grace. It is grace that persuades us or should persuade us to be obedient to the Lord. God says nothing will stand in the way of Zerubbabel. Nothing will stand in the way of God accomplishing his purposes through Zerubbabel. He says no mountain is big enough. Ain't no mountain high, ain't no valley low. God says there is nothing that will Stand in the way of accomplishing. I had to throw that Michael McDonald. <laughs> and all the while, God says there's going to be shouts of grace. While we seek God's blessing, it's the love and grace of Jesus Christ that persuades us to fill this purpose. ACAC, family, we need to be a place where the love and grace of Jesus Christ persuades us to fulfill his purposes a place where we celebrate give thanks and we see before us stories of ashes being turned into beauty some of you have that story some of you you rejoice and you sing and you lift your hands and you shout and you dance and you are persuade, persuaded because you have seen and experienced the love and grace of jesus christ we must be a church where we embrace where we call where we welcome where we celebrate where we go to the streets and say you have a bad family tree you have a bad reputation you have a bad story yeah well i know a god who will rewrite that story we have to be a church that opens our doors and is not concerned with what was written but understand that jesus can rewrite it all so as we can talk about buildings and all of those things and doing it, it is the love and grace of Jesus Christ that has to persuade us. God said it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his grace. Father, I thank you. Lord, for the work that you have done in my life. Where would I be if not for grace? Lord, I pray that there would be no sinner that feels too far gone to 
that they couldn't walk, feel comfortable walking through these doors. Lord, I pray you would help us. I pray that this would be a place where the doors and arms are open to receive and to welcome the Zerubbabels. To those who are caught up in captivity of addiction. Those who are caught up in captivity of sin. Lord, let this be a place, a hospital for the sick, not a country club for the rich. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, we want to be obedient to you. We want to run the errands that you have called us to run. And while we desire your blessing, it's not your hand that we seek. It's you. Thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.